You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to a brand new theater podcast brought to you by Broadway Black. If you're looking for the most up-to-date information on any topics discussed or not discussed here, visit broadwayblack.com, the place to look when the theater goes dark. Now hit your mark and join us as we go off book for the very first time with special guest, Dominique Mariso. I'm still in the Christmas spirit. That's really Come why I want now, to, Christmas spirit. to play because I'm still in the Christmas spirit. And the first Noel was an amazing musical mm-hmm. um, at the Apollo Theater in uh, coordination with the Classical Theater of Harlem. Mm-hmm. Jason Michael Webb, as well as Leland Duran Thompson, did a, just a beautiful job with the music and the storyline. You had a chance to see it, correct? We're I sitting did. here with Dominique Mariso. I should say that. We're yeah, sitting here with, with Dominique Mariso, mm-hmm. <laughs> the wonderful playwright who has just done some amazing things since the time that I met her, what, three mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm. at Detroit 67 mm-hmm. opening uptown and downtown. It was public and mm-hmm. Come on uh, now. with National right. Black Theater. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, Classical so. Classical Theater of Harlem. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. National Black Theater. It was at National Black Theater. But with with classical theater see, Harlem as you well. see how we all connected and how we all get together and just work together that's what mm-hmm. I love about this community it's, it's really great I guess we should say who we are too my name is Andrew Shade and I am uh, I'm the founder and editorial director of Broadway Black and this is Off Book uh, our co-hosts are Fair I should say, let you say your name. Why am I talking for everybody? Okay. I'm, I'm just going to stop here. Be excited, y'all. I am, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Like really excited. Really excited. So go ahead, Farrah. I'll let you speak. I'm Farrah Lopez, the other co-host of this amazing podcast. And I am Don Ye Love, the other host of this amazing podcast. Everybody got great names but me. You say this every time. Every time. It's like Don Ye Love, Andrew Shade, Dominique Mariso. Farrah Lopez. Farrah Lopez. I was thinking that. I was thinking this. Pretty fly name. Right? It is. I think it's fly. Y'all are funny. Well, give us a little bit of background of who you are and what what you do and and why you're here. I am just, uh, I'm an actress, singer, performer, just moved here to New York, brand new transplant, so I am excited to be here to learn about the city and kind of give everybody my experience and different things that I'm learning about while I'm here in the city. Just left a national tour of the Lion King, so I'm pretty much just fish out of water and just learning and growing. You are growing, all right. I am. And I am uh, <laughs> Danye Love, a uh, playwright and a filmmaker. Uh, I have a nonprofit called The Each Other Project, where we try to create space for queer men of diversity. And that's actually how I met Drew. He was in a web series of mine, Modern Day uh, Black Gay. So I'm just Modern really Day excited. Black Gay, to, which is coming back around. It's coming for, back. I, I read the script two. last night. We'll talk about Come it. Come on. I read the script last um, night. So I am excited to uh, be here and to 
experience with you all. Are you going to be Can in? I be in the modern day black A? Come on now. <laughs> it's room for all. I it's mean, room for all. I mean. It I is a mama role that it would be. <laughs> Just kidding. Just but, kidding. Um, we are here at the Atlantic Theater Company rehearsal space to speak with the amazing Dom. I can't say amazing enough. I'm going mm. to say that probably 50, 11 million That's times. That's fine. We'll throw in but some But she ones. is amazing. She just won the, the Steinberg Playwrights Award, which was... Yes, congratulations. Man, like, that's, that's such an honor. You and, and uh, Brandon. Brandon. Yeah, Brandon Jacob Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I'm liking I got these names. Come on now. You get names, names Because right. the names, you got you got to get the names right. If we don't do anything else, especially at Broadway Black, we have to get, get the, the names, names right. right. Right, so we want to make sure that we do that. Um, but we are... Here at the rehearsal space, because today is the very first preview for Skeleton Crew, mm-hmm. the third play in the trilogy, the Detroit trilogy written by Dominique Mariso. I had the privilege of seeing um, the stage production of Detroit 67 a few years ago, and as well as Paradise Blue. I, did, I didn't see the actual staging of that, but I saw a reading mm-hmm. of that at the public theater uh, like last year, year and a half or so ago. And so to have the final play of that particular mm. trilogy come into fruition and, and being able to witness that. I am really, really privileged to have you, Dominique. Thank you so much for joining us. And so tell us a little bit about Skeleton Crew. Tell us about that story and, and what, what it is. Great. Okay. Uh, well, like you said, Skeleton Crew is the third and I say final, but it's like final for now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, play in, in my Detroit cycle. Um, and it is about a closing auto factory and what happens to the workers on both sides of the line, how they navigate this closing plant. Um, and I, you know, um, it, it's for me, probably the hardest play. I said that when I wrote Paradise Blue. Um, <laughs> but then I wrote this one. Yeah. You know, this one's harder, I think. Also, because I, it is very... I've never written a play that is so inside of another field that I do not work. Ah. Um, and so there will be places where I've had to take a poetic license just to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I'd, you know, have to make things happen that would not necessarily ordinarily happen, um, but that they could happen. Um, and that's the, that has been the challenge for me as a playwright is to learn the intricacies and the details of working in a factory. Mm. Um, I'm like, I'm about to go apply for a job in a minute uh, because I've <laughs> talked to so many people and gotten so much insights in stamping um, and, and working in a stamping plant. And I've talked to meet people on all sides of the lines. And, and what you'll find when you talk to auto workers is that they're so very passionate about the work they do and about the representation of that work. Um, So it puts a real burden on me because I'm like, ooh, they feel this is really important. I cannot F Mm. this up. Um, Well, let me me just say that the the play is being billed as a makeshift family of workers at the last exporting auto plant in the city navigate navigate the possibility of foreclosure. If I'm reading that right, I think so. Power dynamics shift, and they are pushed to the limits of survival. When the line between blue collar and white collar gets blurred, how far over the lines are they willing to step? Right. I just wanted to throw that in. So That's right. Know we're so they know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so because it is about factory life, because it is about, it invokes a little bit of uh, UAW, which is the United Auto Workers Union, yep. um, and which my grandfather and many people in my family are part of. Um, it just becomes really the task. I, I start to realize how massive <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, this play is, you know, even though I started off to tell a little story, I was like, I really want to see a factory on stage. I've never seen that. Um, and I've never seen the Detroit auto industry on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I sometimes I, when I start writing plays, I pick location that's interesting. I pick an issue, but I pick things that are I want to see. But I always think, what does it look like? I want to know, what do I want to see on stage that I haven't seen on stage, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, in, in uh, Detroit 67, it was like, oh, I want to see a Detroit basement on stage. Because, like, <laughs> the basement is real in Detroit. Like, that is like a, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's a got place. a basement. Yeah. Everybody's right, got yeah. a basement. And so, you know. Like, things used to go down in the basement. Okay? Yeah, things go down in the basement right. in Detroit. <laughs> and so I just really wanted to capture that, you know. Um, and for Paradise Blue, I wanted to capture something else. It was It's a very different kind of play than all the other plays mm-hmm. in the cycle because it's really noir. It has an edge of mystery. 
and mm-hmm. um, it definitely is a mystery story. Okay. And it also has a, you know, a little bit of a spiritual edge. I mean, it has a lot going on. Um, and, and Skeleton Crew also has a slight spiritual edge to it. But it's... Uh, it is. It's just. It's the most muscular play I think I've mm. ever written. That's a great word. I like that a lot. Yeah, muscular. So as far as uh, Detroit '67 goes, I finished reading it a few days ago. Loved it. Amazing. Thank and you. And what I wanted to ask you, as well, while I was reading, I loved the language because some plays are hard for me to get through. <laughs> I mm-hmm. have to say, mm-hmm. but this was so conversational. It was so comfortable. It was so, yeah, this is how people would speak. It was very approachable. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. the group word. But while I was reading, I was reading a lot of the word nigger. Nigger, nigger, mm-hmm. nigger. A lot in there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, why is she using the word nigger mm-hmm. and not nigger or any other kind of colloquialism that maybe mm-hmm. people would have used back then? Or maybe it was just your ported license. I just wanted to know mm-hmm. why you chose to use that. That's a great question. You know, uh, that was actually a really big thing for me at the time of writing that play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, um, in Detroit 67, I, I when I started to think about 1967 and what happens in the private basements of what I call the hustlers of the city, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I thought, what, what would they say? And I remember I, I came, I had never really, I had policed myself on using that word pr- pr- uh, previously in my plays, you know, and in my works. And that was the, you know, Detroit City 7 actually was the place where I had a lot, I gave myself a lot of permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got some of that permission from August Wilson. Mm-hmm. I got some of that permission from Katori Hall. Yeah. Okay. And I got some of that permission from um, uh, my parents. Mm. Because I they don't they didn't give it on purpose, but they uh, they I asked them, hey, so mama, so you and because I got to a place where they would talk about themselves, mm. when they would just start to say something about themselves, and I was like, wait, what would they say? Color didn't feel right. That's not how we're going to talk about each other when we're just talking about ourselves. Like, when mm-hmm. we're talking about something like oh, news reports, it's like black people don't call each other African-Americans. Right, no. no. Right? Like, we don't sit around when mm-hmm. we with each other and go, yeah, so another African-American. <laughs> we sound no. like we ain't from ourselves right. when we do yes. that. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, similarly, I had a moment where I was like, ooh, they're talking about themselves to each other. Mm-hmm. What are they saying? They're not going to say colored. They'll say colored when we're talking about it in a... um in a particular context, you know, like when we're talking about something official or when we're talking about something from the media, yeah. you know, we'll say, oh, it's an African-American theater company when we talk amongst ourselves. True. You right. know, so, I, you know, but when we just talking about that person over there, what are we saying? You know, sometimes we'll say brother. Mm-hmm. So they also say brother, you know, mm-hmm. yes. sister, not so much, but brother, mm-hmm. you know. But the use of the explosive N-word, mm-hmm. N-I-G-G-E-R, too, because mm-hmm. I didn't, N-I-G-G-A, that's some new school mm-hmm. hip-hop. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not, even though they might have pronounced a nigga, they wasn't writing it like that. Right. Right. Gotcha. Back mm-hmm. in gotcha. that time. You're right. right. And so I, 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 I wanted to be authentic to the mm-hmm. time. And I, I have elders that I know feel bitch slapped when they uh, <laughs> see that word, <laughs> you know. Sure. And I, and I. Understands mm-hmm. it, and I, I've had friends question me about it, and I've always said, "Listen, I got to a point where I said, Mama, you, you know, you and your friends are walking, and you're, you're talking about each other, and what, what, what would you say?" Now, my mother, who's like a perpetual third grade school teacher, who was like, she can't cuss right. My mama don't even know how to cuss. That's <laughs> my daddy always said, your mama don't know how to cuss. She's so <laughs> proper. Right. And she says, well, we, we might say colored or Negro. I said, Mom, I'm talking about when you walk in with your friend. Mm-hmm. Just y'all. Ain't nobody around. And my mama hesitates mm-hmm. on the phone. And I said, something's in that hesitation. Yes. yes. What's in she's that? Trying she's trying not to say something. I don't want to like, tell mm-hmm. you. She's trying not to tell say. me something. What's in right. that? And right. then she goes, well... The bad girls would say nigga. Right. <laughs> that was her word. Like, I'm like, not one of them. I ain't one of them, right. but the bad girls. Those girls. Right. You don't want your child saw, to know that about you. Exactly, right? <laughs> so I said, okay, well, let me think. Who's the bad girls in my play? Mm. Bunny's a bad girl. She's yeah. gonna say it. Bunny Absolutely. is a bunny is She's a, a played. Well, when I saw the show, it was played by uh, Deidre Aziza. Uh-huh. That's a bad girl. And she is bad. When I tell you, I have never like. Oh, okay. I'm gonna stop. You know what I'm I mean? A, I'm yes. like fangirling. I because, love money. Right. I love so, you money. Know what I'm so then I said, Oh, I gotta let them be free. And then you know, I asked my daddy. I said, So you with your fellas? Mm-hmm. You with your guys? And he's like, Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and he gave me another hesitation. Uh-huh. I said, Daddy, just tell me. You ain't just, it's just me. Keep it real. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? And when they kept it real, they had to tell me what they said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, now, I could fix it. But my job is not to fix my people as a dramatist. My job is to give my people themselves and their fullness and their realness and their truth. And when I show you yourself, you can talk about it amongst yourselves and you can fix yourselves. My job is not to fix you. My job is to give you your humanity. Be honest, mm-hmm. right. And your voice. Yes. Your fullness and your humanity. So I thought, I'm not going to correct my people for nobody. Mm-hmm. Right. These are what my Detroit folks would say. I'm giving them permission to be in the basement and I'm letting you in. Hey. Come I'm on. letting you into a private moment. Yeah. Come on. Come on. And, I, of and them that in is the basement. job of a dramatist. So speaking of uh, private moments and authenticity, right, and just keeping it real with these stories, uh, I want to just quickly get out of the trilogy and talk about A Sunset Baby. Sure. Um, yeah. Which I loved so much. It was at the. You can't stop talking about it. I cannot. Really I'm, I'm wearing them <laughs> out, and I don't care. Um, it was at the Labyrinth, um, and Camilla mm-hmm. Forbes directed mm-hmm. it. Um, about this uh, guarded young woman and her estranged father, and how they come together because of these letters, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The story just built on top of itself, and we got deeper and deeper into these characters, and it was so subtle. And so nuanced. Yeah. My my question to you under all of this is, do you find yourself falling into traps as a writer? And what do you do to get out of those traps? Because everything was just so clear. It was so clear in that story. So I want to know, do you find yourself coming against these walls? And what do you do to chisel to get deeper into it? Uh... I'm not sure, you know. Mm-hmm. I, it's a, that's a, a very poignant question, and I'm not sure um, how to answer it. Only because I, I, if I am in traps, I'm probably still in them, and I don't. I'm mm-hmm. not recognizing mm-hmm. it. You know, I think I try to avoid having a prescription about who what I am as a writer. Mm-hmm. I I know that for my work, I I try not to trap myself with of not having story mm. by. Having a vision of, I always say, you know, I remember a friend of mine who was at Juilliard told me Marsha Norman had imparted on them that it's helpful to have a vision of the end of your play, just an image or a vision. Mm. And I thought, oh, that was, I never went to Juilliard. I didn't get in um, <laughs> three times. But, oh, uh, <laughs> really? Oh, they, they mad now. They, okay, they big mad. mistake. <laughs> They're fine. You know, I have a lot of great friends who did go to Juilliard, but but I, that's the the uh, education I just got free from Juilliard. Come on now. Um, was that, you know, to have a vision of the end of the play. And so I did, uh, I, I started to See if I had a vision, you mm-hmm. know. And sometimes I do, and some and for Sunset Baby, I had a very strong vision. Mm. Um, it was clear. But even if I don't have a full vision of the end, I know how to get to the end. For me, it's more I would amend that 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 particular rule and say that there. Another rule I found is I can write a story and probably get to the end if I know who the characters, what they want, and what they're willing to fight or die for. Because mm-hmm. then I know. I know, like, okay, you want this bar and you you can't get it. That's what you're going to be willing to fight or possibly Mm -hmm. die for. And then I know how to get to the end of my play. Mm Because either you're going to get it or you ain't. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Either you're going to get it or you ain't. Once I know what you are, what you want, you either going to get it or you're not. Mm -hmm. And that's how we're going to get to the end of the play. You know, and Sunset Baby, you want letters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want your daddy to say he loves you. Mm -hmm. You're going to get it or you're not. Mm-hmm. And that's how you're going to get to the end of the play. Right. So uh, those things help me get out of certain kinds of traps. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, other kind of traps, like I don't know what the other ones are. I guess, you know, I don't even know what the other ones are. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's content, if it's topic, if it's character, if it's people. I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't feel trapped. I feel pretty liberated in my writing. I feel like I, it frees me. Mm-hmm. When, I'm, when I'm writing a play, I feel free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to not write under the white gaze, mm. like as in worry about what white audiences and white theater will think of me. And I also try, I'm, the only trap I think I've had in my life is worrying about the black gaze. Mm. And I am also trying, and I think with Detroit 6 7 started, to um, get out from underneath the black gaze of writing what I think black people want me to write. Mm-hmm. As opposed to writing what I'm moved to write and knowing that that's good enough. Right. That my voice as a black writer doesn't mean I make black people happy all the time. Right. My voice as a black writer means I 
stay true to who I am. And the only thing I owe anybody, black, white, brown, you know, Asian, whatever it is, um, the only thing I owe uh, all of us in the rainbow of artists that we are is the truth and is humanity and three dimension. That's what I owe anybody. That don't mean it's going to be perfect, pretty. You, I'm going to have a perspective that you like. You're going to enjoy my politics, blah, blah, blah. I don't owe you nothing like that. All I owe you is um, honesty. And if I'm being dishonest as a writer, then you have every every right to call me out about that. He's telling the story. Yeah. Yeah, I can dig it. So you just, I mean, speaking about, you know, not being underneath the gaze of, um, you know, white gaze or black gaze, in, in your creative process. What about enjoying that creative process? You recently wrote a letter uh, that was titled, Why I Almost Slapped a Fellow Theater Patron and What That Says About Our Theaters. Like, that, is, that title alone, alone. got, alone. like, I said, wait viral. a minute. Right, viral. Viral. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it just, it just spoke, sparked a conversation. It spoke Absolutely. to the people that have gone to the theater that already felt like the theater was not intended for them and could not really celebrate or enjoy the piece the way that they wanted to enjoy it simply because of mm-hmm. the white gaze. Mm-hmm. And so you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you speak about exactly what happened and, and, and why you chose to write this letter and, and publish it and let people know that this isn't okay. Uh, you know, well, when I had the exchange at the theater with the woman, the patron, who um, took it upon herself to consider her act charity to me. Um, <laughs> that her act of charity. Her act of, I was her act of charity, she thought. And, you know, I did not see it that way. I thought, you have no one else to get these tickets to in the theater. I asked the theater for tickets, and they're like, hey, just give her these, you know. And I, it wasn't that I was inappreciative or ungrateful, as I was really rampant called across the internet. Um, in fact, I had written about my Wait, gratitude. you were, you were. Oh, I was called ungrateful by lots of people. I can't believe this ungrateful playwright would say this. She didn't even thank that woman. Like they just made a lot of assumptions. Comments about on this wow. article. Mm-hmm. Comments wow. on the article. That I didn't read a lot of the comments on the article, but yeah. but they yeah. they came across my path anyway because I was tagged in it about 50, you know fifty million times. Wow. So some stuff's gonna come up. Mm-hmm. And um, but I thought, oh wow, funny enough, I had actually written about how I told her thank you more than once mm-hmm. uh, and tried to engage her in dialogue after the show. Um, but American Theater Magazine editing, she kind of was. Cutting out a lot of uh, f- extra fat, you know, mm-hmm. and they thought the, the details that weren't important, like my gratitude wasn't important to, 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 to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I agree with them. I was like, oh, that's smart. Yeah, because that's not about me being grateful. It's about the, the, the reflection that I had about it, you mm-hmm. know? And so, but it's because that got omitted, it was really interesting to have people call me ungrateful. And I wondered if they would continue to do that. They probably would have anyway, even when yes. I have written about my gratitude. Right, very so, much right. You know, um, but I thought... Why I chose to write about it, I told the woman I was going to write about it. I said, you should read. Do you look at American Theater Magazine? This is before American Theater Magazine told me they were going to publish it. <laughs> but I, I was like, you should read. Do you read American Theater Magazine or How Round? Because I knew I was going to try to get one of them to put this up. You know, um, I didn't know. Well, you can always call BroadwayBlack.com. I will next. next I will say also <laughs> look at Broadway plug. Black. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do next hey. time. Y'all knew it was coming. Y'all knew <laughs> That's it. That's what I'm gonna do next time. <laughs> but you know, um, I think I what I why I chose to to seek America Theater Magazine was because I could have I was gonna just write it as a Facebook post because mm-hmm. I write anything as a Facebook post. You do it's my media. I could do what I want to do. I love you it do. too. You <laughs> so, give me my whole life. You know what I mean? I feel like this is the one media I have control over, so I could do that. But I chose to get it into another market. Um because I knew that it was in my Facebook feed it was going to reach the people that think like me. And um, I didn't want to just reach the people that think like me or already support me, be they white, black, you know, Latino, Asian, Native American, Southeast Asian, you know. I wanted to get it to people who have different points of view, who were not going to, who were going to say all of the things that they said. Could you, could you tell them just real quick for those who didn't read the mm-hmm. article, just a cliff note of what exactly happened? Sure. Uh, uh, you know, I went to a theater to see a show. I, I, I went to the box office to see if there were any discounted tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, they, at the moment, were telling me, hold off, stand off to the side. We got to wait and find out. And I have friends in the show. I had developed this play as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have gotten into that show. 
You know, I could have easily gotten into that show. I was just in town for a limited time. So I was just like, I'm going to just run over here to the theater, see if I can do it tonight. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was more of the unplanning part of it that was Mm -hmm. the case, not the inability to be able to see theater. So um, (laughs) I, you know, and so when I went and stood off to the side, uh, the the box office said, could you wait, you know, hang out and wait over here. We're going to see what we could do. And minutes later, they brought a woman over to me, an older white woman. Um, who had a black husband? I learned later that he was her, I don't know if he was her husband, he was her partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she, he brought the woman over to me who was really timid about even approaching me and giving me the tickets. And he was like, you know, you're, you're, getting, you're trying to get rid of tickets, she needs tickets, maybe you can work something out, right? Okay. And so I thought, oh, she's looking for somebody to buy these tickets off of her that she, you know, she's got stuck with. So I said, ma'am, I, let me just help because she looked really timid, like she didn't want to give them to me per se. So I said, ma'am, you know, I can help take those off your hands if you need to. But I'm, I said, I can't really pay. I didn't say that. I said, um, ma'am, it looks like you're trying to get those off your hands, but I can't pay you for them because I don't have any cash on me. So let me just stop you right now. You might want to give those to somebody else. You know, and she just kind of looked at me and she handed me. She was like, here, just take them. And I was like, uh, are you sure? Because I can't pay you for them. I'm not, I don't have any cash on me. She said, no, that's fine. Just take them. And not that you didn't have the, the money, money to pay. The See, she heard cash. She heard money with cash. Of course right, she did. Right. And, so, and so did the comments. And, and so did the comments. And so did the comments. And so and so I thought, okay, well, all right, if you're sure. And, you know, she said, yeah. And I said, I, she said, if they're just better seats, let's just switch. Yeah, I said, sure. I, when we get up there, I don't know. She didn't know which seats were which mm-hmm. for hers or mine. I said, sure, I'll find you if they're better seats. You know, what you'll get whatever you want right. um, and so she gave me more tickets than I needed to I was like oh I don't need two but she just she's just trying to get rid of her tickets mm-hmm. so I said fine okay um, and then when she walked away she told me also but just make sure I don't pop my gum mm. and I didn't catch it actually a friend of mine caught it uh-uh. first and they were all kind of stunned mm-hmm. and I didn't catch it I was just busy trying to see where these seats were right. and, uh, and then when I realized what she said I said wait she said that to me oh, why would she say that to me I'm not even chewing gum mm-hmm I'm not even chewing gum, but she was just telling me what she hated. So there was a series of things that went on right. that she, during the show, tried to stop me from enjoying it the, in the, you know, supportive and participatory way that I was enjoying the show, which the show, as an actress, as I was a part of it, that is the mission of the play. Um, it is inviting people to have their own kind of experience and their own interactive experience. Because there was a choir, correct? Because there was a choir, was a choir. on stage, and we clapping, right. and I'm supposed to clap with them, you know? I mean, right. like, I know that to be the f- culture of the place. That means right. theater experience. And right. theater experience. But theater is basically your church, you know, mm-hmm. and it's asking you to come have your church-like experience. Exactly. And everybody's church experience is not the same. Now, you didn't mention the play on purpose, correct? I did not mention okay. the play on purpose. Okay. Some so people figured it out. Everybody figured it out for themselves. I was about to say, in the play was. Uh. But I, I, choose, I choose not to mention the play <laughs> because I don't want to make it about, it's not, I don't want to make it about that theater. I don't want right. to make it about that True. play. Right. It's not about those things. It was about the what I think is happening across our theaters that is more important to Right, that. exactly. Um, and that happening across our theaters is this idea that women like her feel that people like me are guests in a place that we also create the art that they're engaging in. and But we are treated like guests, like the backdoor guests. And she's the the owner. She's the and hostess. And she's the hostess and the mm-hmm. owner. And I thought that's a that's a that's happened at, in my work several times mm-hmm. where people have told people to you know audiences who are um, maybe subscribers to the theater who feel a, a sense of entitlement to that theater have tried to police the reactions of of black audience mm-hmm. members for my show and black and brown Latina audience mm-hmm. members to my mm-hmm. show and. Um, have told and you know we go up there. in your shows, yeah, because because of the energy of it. Because my shows, I'm, I I, I want to say actually, if you wasn't laughing loud, you was the one that was wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you wasn't talking back to the play, right. you was the one that wasn't responding correctly. Right, you know because the you know most of the times my plays teach um, audiences of color teach uh, non audiences of color how to engage with the play. You know, and then it gives them permission, and then not everybody's having a good time, you know, which is to me the goal of my work is I want people of all backgrounds to be able to come to the work, but you have to come to the work by the rules of the work, mm-hmm. not by your 
own rules. The rules of the work say this is how we engage. So if you're going to come participate, you got to participate by the rules to. of the work. You got to. And one thing that I really loved about the article, it's similar to what we were talking about before we started this uh, podcast, is we were talking about privilege and we were talking about entitlement, right? Uh, and people wanting to defend that so harshly. And there was a moment when it felt like the thing that she said just started to build and build and build. And then it was this simple, no more. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking that. I'm mm-hmm. not taking your privilege. I'm not taking your entitlement. Mm-hmm. No more. That's and it was right. so firm. That's what I said to her. I said, no. And the thing I thought was amazing was she was picking an argument with me in the middle of the play. Now, that's right. bad theater. Right, right, right. 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 Like, you couldn't even wait to intermission. And right. I know these people up there on that stage, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. The, the lead actor's, like, looking at me and using me as his, like, point person for yeah. audience participation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's telling me to be quiet, and he's telling me, come on. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 come with me. <laughs> so, you know, I what mean, I'm doing, like, yeah. lady, no, we're not doing this. Right. I'm not going to disrupt my friend's show. Yeah. I'm not going to disrupt any show for this behavior. And that's, the, that's the part that got me when you put the hand up. The hand up. Because yeah. I, I saw like, I could I could, see I saw it. I, I visualized it. it. I, I said, really come did. on now. I think everyone who read that article <laughs> I like, visualized yes, no that. More. No more. And I think a lot of people are going to start doing it because, right. of, no because more. of the article. No more. Ma'am, I just wanted to turn We you. all have our hands Please up turn right. off your cell phone. No more, <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> I will I, not take it. I said, I she can't, did that. I can't do it. Sorry. She did that. But Start the movement of the line. Here we go. But in the same realm, just recently, a letter was written, a full, I mean, I want to say a, a, a dissertation by Tanya Pinkins. Mm. Oh my man! Like she really. Okay, if you don't know, she was recently in a production of Mother Courage, and the production of Mother Courage wasn't really going along the lines creatively of what she thought it should have, and and that happens as actors, but particularly her character was being cultivated. Um, as a black woman and not the way that she thought a black woman should be represented. And the word that was used was delusional. Delusional. Delusional, yes. Right? So she went along and she had a, uh, I mean, she she went along for the ride, but then she ended up dropping out of the show uh, just recently, just last week. And now that uh, they open really, really soon, if they haven't already started previews. I think they've already, have they already started previews, I believe? I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, yeah, so it's it's a big deal. It's a big ordeal. And she wrote a uh, a letter, um, and that was posted, and she just went in. Did you ha- have you heard of this, Dominique? Absolutely. So do you have any input, or how do you feel that sort of reflects in the same realm on the creative side and not just the audience side of that that white gaze and that, that white hand over... White white creatives over black stories Mm -hmm. right you know it's so interesting because i think there's always that idea that i think there's a popular idea that's out there about whether or not you know um people from other backgrounds can direct plays you know Mm -hmm. um by specific backgrounds that they're not a part of right so like can white directors direct black brown whatever plays um and i i think we get into a little bit of danger if we start to affirm that white people cannot direct black plays. And I know that's a shocker to some people to hear me say that, but I think when you do that, we are questioning, um, I'm questioning someone's ability to have uh, an evolved humanity. And I, I don't know, but just because we haven't seen a lot of great examples of it, I wouldn't say it doesn't exist. Um, I do, however, think that it is a matter of employment when we say that white directors can direct black plays, but we haven't seen a lot of black directors being able to direct white plays or direct other plays. Or when black directors are called to task, it's typically to direct black plays, um, which is not a problem for me. Mm-hmm. But I think that when we're limiting who can tell whose stories, you know, um, then we can't, we are putting black and brown and people of color, directors of color in the margins and giving them limited jobs where we're giving white directors the pick of the litter, you know? Right. And so it's that, that to me is what is an imbalance. But I think I, I don't want to ever, I don't, I, I guess I'm, I'm afraid of a society that cannot have a person outside of my experience engage in my experience and, and bring value to it. I'm, I'm concerned about living in that kind of world, okay. right? However, um, I think what, what Tanya Pinkins, what was profound about her statement is that because we're not having certain conversations, 
You know, to me, it's, 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 not, it's not can a white director direct my play. It is how, how willing is that director, how willing is any director to cultivate the things that they don't know? Mm-hmm. Because if you come to the table as the expert on something that you don't know, we're going to have a problem. We're right. going to have a problem. have a problem. You need to have like, a conversation. You need to be open. No, go ahead. And that's what Tanya says. The, the title of her letter is Who Loses, Who Thrives When White Creatives Tell Black Stories. The year 2015 saw the rise of Black Lives Matter and Black Girls Matter, both movements held by powerful, <clears throat> fearless black women. In 2016, I'm starting Black Perspectives Matter. Twice this year, but too many times in my career, my perspective as a black woman was dismissed in favor of portraying the black woman through the filter of the white gaze, what we've been talking about this entire time. <laughs> Regrettably, ah, I can't even speak. I must exit classic stage company's mother courage. When black bodies are on the stage, black perspectives must be reflected. This is not simply a matter of artistic interpretation. Race and sex play a pivotal role in determining who holds the power to shape representation. A black female should have a say in the presentation of a black female on stage. And I say that's period, point blank. And it literally feels like that is the issue, listening. Right. People do not listen to one another. And then that's when we have situations. This was taking place right now Mm -hmm. is because someone is telling me that this is not working and I'm not listening to what exactly is happening. How can we work together? How can we be a theater community and collaborate together to create the best the most truthful experience? That's right. And I think with with that, I love that black perspectives matter Mm -hmm. because I think in theater, even when we have black artists being celebrated or being given productions, I don't think that we are forming necessarily black perspectives. We are, you will see in critique often in critics, uh, you know, responses to black work that they do not understand black perspectives and the range of black perspective. They don't understand the, the, the I, you know, they don't understand that there is an actual black theater culture mm-hmm. uh-huh. that is right. a Correct. subculture of theater. It's not part, it's not the same. It's you know? not, not the, the same. same, which is why I feel as though Broadway Black has been able to sort of excel in a way because we're That's sort of right. giving the, that community a voice. They don't understand that culture because their culture comes from a European background of, of theater being an event where you're dressed up, you're stuffy, you sit down, you watch the play, and then you go and you go back home. You know, it's not an experience for them. It's more of an event. But that wasn't always the case. I mean, I, you know, as much as they shove Shakespeare, as, as much as conservatory programs and theater shove Shakespeare down our throats as the, the god of theater, that is not how Shakespeare engaged in theater originally. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare's people were not the stuffy, mm-hmm. privileged you know, that, that that was the gutter people, Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, and the gutter people were welcome to the theater. Right. And I say, if you're going to shove that God down my throat, then you're going to have to bring that God's Bible with me and everything else that that God stood for. And if Shakespeare is, quote, the theater playwright God, then we are not even modeling the format that Shakespeare's plays right. were doing. Mm-hmm. We have changed that. And so I think that we, we got to get out of that, like, that stuffy Eurocentric mm-hmm. idea. Because that's not even really, pro- not that, real. is not even, that is not even a real Eurocentrism. That's not even, you know, Eurocentricity. That's it's not even really what it is. It's all manufactured. It's, right, it's a manufactured mm-hmm. um, idea. And so I think uh, um, it's a manufactured idea of wealth and elitism. And I, the elitism of theater, which is why I wrote that article, because I, I want to address elitism in theater. I want to address white privilege in theater theater and so we're getting back to privilege again mm-hmm. and I think once again you know privilege is some uncomfortable stuff I know it's gonna make people pissed off I mean you know it's okay it's okay to get pissed off you can hate me I don't really care I mean I don't I don't, I don't um I don't eat your hate I don't, you know so it's like it ain't gonna feed my kids it's not gonna do nothing <laughs> right <for me. laughs> right 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 you know so um it's, and it's, it's not gonna stop me either so it's just you can go ahead and be upset because I think the only way for you to change for anyone to change is to be agitated mm-hmm so if you want to call me an agitator, you know what well, is cool. I mean, like, there was a moment when King was not the pre- the Prince of Peace and the Nobel Peace Prize winner and was not um, 
um, we ain't had no holiday. You know, he was a man in jail. He was a called an agitator. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time when Malcolm X, we wasn't like, you know, licking stamps with Malcolm X's picture and mailing letters with Malcolm X's smile. We were, you know, calling him a minister of hate. So it's, 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 I'm okay. I can wait it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now. I can wait it out because uh, I think we have to we have to agitate if we're going to make change and that's for all of us you know we have to get uncomfortable with each other we have to say things that piss each other off mm-hmm. we got to get pissed off at each other and and still what I've taught my black and white students um in a particular program where I had literally black and white students. Those were the two groups that were in um, my recent production of my play Blood at the Root mm-hmm. through oh. Penn State. Yeah. And it's coming to the National Black Theater in April. Hey! And they've literally toured South Africa, Australia, Scotland. They've, they've won a Peace Prize for yes. this play. That's amazing. And when I first went to Penn State, I would go there and have these students talk about race and they would be angry with each other by the end of my week. And I would go there <laughs> and, you know, make everybody pissed off at everybody and I'd leave. Now these students are best friends. They are they they created companies together. They like they continue wow. to dialogue about this stuff. Um, and it's because I said, you know what, you're gonna have to get upset with each other for a little while. Yeah. Those feathers. Ruffle each other's feathers and black and white on both sides. I say the stuff that is like, oh, I'm afraid to say this. You know, I've had my white friends that are my closest friends have said, I'm afraid to say this to you. I'm like, all right, so let's not say it. Now it's going to probably, you know, maybe it's going to make me mad, but probably not because you have the balls to say it. Mm -hmm. So it's probably not going to make me mad. It makes me mad if you're thinking it about me and you're not saying, not it. saying it. You know, now you have to, you, you, let's talk, you know. And they've said things to me and we've talked about race and we've talked about, and I, I trust them because we can get ugly with each other. I don't trust somebody I can't get down and dirty with. So those students have become close and have built bridges with this play because they were agitated. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I mean, anybody that's trying to tell us agitation is, you know, for some reason, trying to shame it or silence it, um, frankly, and I'm saying I'm being I'm bold today, but you know they can just go ahead and take that straight to hell because I'm not gonna do that, you know. And I don't think anybody should, not if we really believe that we want to evolve in you know, our theater community. Absolutely. So, uh, speaking of evolving, you as a, a playwright, what is something that you would say is a necessity or a must piece of advice for any playwright that wants to? Uh, excel and really get their stories or their perspective heard? Uh, you know, different things. I, I I don't have a fast... What I don't have is a how-to-get-produced journey. I, I don't know that. I I know how to be heard. You know, I don't know how to get the rest of the, the world or the rest of the country um, to to stand behind your voice. I know how to stand behind my own voice. Mm. That's that's the way I that's the way I started. That's what I did at Michigan. When I felt it, invisible and underheard, I I don't know what to what results to come from it. I know what I have the power to do is to write the story, and so I decided at Michigan I'm going to write my story. And then I know I had the power to galvanize other people who also felt invisible, to say, hey, let's let's help each other be visible to whoever we want to be visible mm-hmm. to. I don't have some magic, like, I don't. I guess what I don't, I don't have is how to be some famous, successful playwright, and people that think they're famous playwrights crack me up. I'm like, really? You can stop? <laughs> I got to snore out of me. Like, you, I mean, like, I like you, can, you can still catch the subway and nobody's going to ask for your autograph. I think you're cool. Mm. Right. I think you are right. Like, right. I think we need to not I see really, Norm Lewis on the subway one day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've seen Leon on the subway. Right. You know, but it's like, so you, everybody needs to calm down about, like, you know, Filling themselves and, and drinking, inhaling the, you know, inhaling mm-hmm. the fumes and drinking the Kool Aid because I don't think that that helps us um, be artists and create. And so my advice as a play to another playwright is, you know, a lot of people reach out to me and say, "Hey, Dominique, can you help me figure out how to um, get my work produced?" I'm like, "Let's figure out how to write your play." Mm. Let's figure out That's how to write the part your play. I can help you with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how to figure out how to help you get your work produced. I mean, I I can tell you what I did. That's the only thing I can do, because it's different for everybody. But I can tell you what I did, and one thing I can tell you: you ain't gonna get your work produced when you don't submit your work nowhere. Mm. Oh, okay. And I remember this. This had to be what 
four years ago, after 48 Hours in Harlem uh, by Harlem Nine, we were at an after party. And I came up to you. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm, this. I do. Um, I came up to you, and I was submitting to the public's uh, Emerging Writers that's Group. That's right. That's right. Um, and I was like, so I'm submitting. Do you have any advice, anything to say? And I will never forget what you said. It was so simple, but it's so true. Apply. 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 Mm-hmm. Apply. Don't stop there. Apply to as many places as you think you can, even if you don't think you can apply. Mm-hmm. And I took it to heart. I'm still taking it to heart. So I thank you oh, for that. Thank I you. thank you so much for that. Actually, that's better advice than what I just said. Let's use what <laughs> you No, you gave some goodness. You gave some goodness. That just clicked so much with me. Yeah, but that, mm-hmm. I think that that's it. That's what I would say, too, is because we, I'll tell you this. I, I submitted one year to to write my first play that actually put me on the the map. Like Detroit City Seven, uh, I think Follow Me to Nellie's, which is my first mm, mm-hmm. uh, professionally produced play. That was the play that got me into the public theater emerging rise group. It got me into the O'Neill. You know, mm. it is not a play I'm known for or anybody really remembers, um, except for the people that were part of it. You know. And, but that is my, what I call the gateway play. And Detroit mm-hmm. 67 is, I guess, considered my, quote, you know, breakout play, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Um, but the thing is, I was writing a whole lot of plays before mm-hmm. both of those plays. You know, a whole lot. I wrote short one acts. I wrote 10 minutes. I wrote, mm-hmm. you know, I submitted to a lot of festivals. I did not become no playwright, uh, you know, in 2010. Right, right. I've been a playwright since 99, Years. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so, um, so it's but but you know people are gonna build a story around you. But the one thing I say is when I finally decided I was working on the mountaintop as an actress with Katori. You were working on the mountaintop as an actress with Katori Hall. I just wanted people to know yeah. that, like that, that you were working right. as an actress as You're well. Hilarious. <laughs> yes, I was working on the mountaintop with Katori. One day you got to give me Katori in here. We're gonna tell our Listen, story. Listen, I would love hey, that one. As soon as your show closed or something's going on, like. When you got some time, listen, Let's she'll talk. be back. Right. We'll Let's talk. talk. We really well, go ahead. We've talked about it. We really wanted to tell it uh, together. Um, but but I was working with her on that. And she, at the time, I remember, I had one play that I had been trying to get produced for, like, I think from, like, 2003 to, like, 2009. Mm. You know, I had, like, mm-hmm. one play that I had written. Like, I got to get this play. And right, I had all right. these opportunities to maybe get it done. Mm-hmm. Anyway, while that was happening, I, uh, Katori had, like, about four, five plays. Oh, right. <laughs> Right? And we was working on Montauk. She was, you know, she just won a pony while we were working on Montauk. It was a lot of stuff going on with her. And I just was like, so wait, but you write another play? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, but you didn't get those other three produced yet, but you you just keep writing plays before you get ones produced. Why haven't I thought to do that? <laughs> it's like what you said, Farrah, about the simple things. It was like, oh my God, I'm so oh, ridiculous. Why writing. have I not continued to write? Why am I right. still pushing this one play for like six years? Like, I gotta get this play though. I got these other plays that I want to do, but I'm working on this one play that. for a minute. We're oh not done with this one yet. We're not done I with this one that. yet. Now you couldn't pay me to produce that play, but for a long time, it was just that one play. You it was tried that one to get play. it out there. In fact, somebody one day finally, finally did offer to produce that play, and I was like, no, I just think I can't, I can't even give that it. to you. I no can't more. do that. I can't do that to myself. I hear that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, but that's the thing. So I right. would say I, to the writer is to continue to write. Your voice will grow, and mm-hmm. we we exactly. get we kind of get caught up on that one story, and we because yes. we fall in love with ourselves yeah, and, our, and the stuff we yeah. wrote, and we like no. It's our babies, yeah. It's our baby. Don't give up my child. But that one child might be the one that helps you write the better child next. Mm -hmm. Because every play I write, I think, on some level, is, you know, better than the the one before on some level. You know, sometimes not. I might backslide. But but whatever it is, (laughs) you know, um, I think that we, I grow every time. And so I think that we got to give ourselves a chance to grow and not get stuck on caught up on that one thing. Mm -hmm. You know, don't get caught up on that one thing. I applied to about one year. I applied to like two things, two things with um, my play for six years. I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna write this next play if I don't get these residencies. I got to I apply for two things. I got two no's. Well, that was not really good odds if you're gambling, right? So, uh, then, right. so the next year I applied for 30 things. Wow. I got like 28 no's. That's a lot of no's. 
I got two yeses. One was to the public, the other was to the O'Neill. Mm. The right ones. The two the right ones? I got 28 no's. If I, you know, right. I'm just, it's just like, just get your odds up, okay? You're going to get a bunch of no's. Right. I still get rejection letters like, ooh, that was painful. Mm. We still get them. Like, get, just, your numbers yeah, get, get your numbers up. Get your numbers up. Get your numbers up. That's numbers what I would up. tell any writer. Start okay. writing. Don't get stuck on that one play. Keep going. And get your numbers up. Go submit to everything you can and then do it again. Right. Hashtag get your numbers up. Yeah. Right. So question uh, that I have, I know I experienced this. Um, I'm 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 curious uh, if if you do too. Uh, even at this stage, when you're writing, uh, do you have a moment where it's just so hard to figure out the play? And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can I do this? Oh, no, I'm corny. Because I know that often happens to me. I'm like, oh, no, no. Sometimes I find myself slipping into a slight depression. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, step away for a bit. Get yourself together. And then let's, let's see. Danya, like all the time. Ciao. <laughs> like all the time. Mm. Like this year, 2015 is one of the most painful years of my life, mm. and, and, and I'm one of the most abundant. Really? Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's, um, mm-hmm. One of the most abundant and one of the most painful. Um, and and I was writing for television. Now, you should talk to my husband. You really want to know how I was doing. <laughs> because you were, you're on a show, uh, Shameless. Shameless. I'm on Shameless. Showtime. I had never written for TV, and Shameless is one of the hardest shows to write for, according to other writers in the room. So I'm wow. like writing on the hardest show to write for, for my first show. Mm-hmm. And I was stressed every day for reasons that I probably shouldn't have been. I didn't know what to be stressed out about. Mm-hmm. And then I finally figured it out, and I was like, waste. I had wasted like six months of stress that I should have saved for just one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I and I often doubted my my ability, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I'm like, no, I know I'm a good writer, but it just may not be the right fit. But if it's not the right fit, if I suck, oh well, I, I just keep going, you know. Um, but also, Skeleton Crew. I, when I was working on Skeleton Crew, um, it was during the time Detroit 67 was up. Mm-hmm. And really? I was okay. working on it at the Lark, mm-hmm. um, which is one of my favorite homes. The Lark Development Center. Lark mm-hmm. Play Development what Center. What is this voice you keep putting I on love it. every it's time? Like, it's like going under. It's it's so right. strange. Drop. Like it's like a background. It's like the Broadway Black Encyclopedia. It's like a voiceover <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's like the ticker that goes yeah, on so CNN. Strange. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I was going to wait till after the show. But I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I had a true fair. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, but anyway, skeleton. I will say just to, to to try to find a concise because I ain't concise about nothing. But to find a concise way, but to answer Danielle's question, I thought this play sucked. Mm. Really? <laughs> I like wrote through it. It was like this is garbage. I like freaked out in the middle of writing it and had my friends come over because reading it at the Lark in a playwrights workshop which is one of my favorite like uh, programs. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> but I was going to the playwrights workshop like no, my pages ain't never coming out right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm bringing mm-hmm. in the best actors. It's not, it's not hitting like I wanted to hit. You know, they're not the best pages. Rajiv Joseph was working. Rajiv Joseph was working on guards at the Taj mm, at the time. Oh, wow. um, you know, Kimber was working on Brownsville song, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chisa Hutchinson was working on a play. Who else was in my, um, uh, Rogelio. Do you guys wow. know Rogelio mm-hmm. Martinez? Yeah. I, I was at, we had some heavy hitters in yeah. my group. Yeah, I so, see that. So, <laughs> uh, I was struggling. <laughs> like, you know, um, I don't think this is going to work. You know, but... What ended up um, coming out of it at the end, and I, th- I really did think it was crap through, to, until the first uh, read-through of it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I first heard the play out loud, um, and a couple of people at the table offered to produce it, you know, who wow. were at the table. I was like, oh, my first read-through? Let me read this play again. Let me see what's in this play. Let me let me receive what's in this. That ain't never happened to me, mm. you know. Um, when I had my friends come over and read it, like they read half the play for me to to, to encourage me to keep going. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Should I throw this away? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, am I like, gonna no. be embarrassing myself? Right, right? right. you know. And they're mm-hmm. like, "Don't you got to keep writing this?" I'm like, "Ah, you know." So yes, absolutely, I get I, I get terrified. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time I write, I'm like, "They're gonna hate this one," mm. and then I have to also go, and they probably will. And so what? Like, mm. who cares? The power. Be liked. I'm mm-hmm. here to be liked. I'm here to tell the truth. Mm. Then those are not the same thing. Mm. 
And I think if you inevitably, if you try to be liked by everybody, you won't be. And um, no. but if you try to tell your truth, you will inspire who you're supposed to. Come on, somebody. And that's all that's I can real. do, yeah. you know. And I'm, I'm just trying to tell the truth, and it's hard. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, does this, this suck? I don't know what I have until I hear it. Mm-hmm. On paper, it right. sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, that, that was just funny in my head. Ain't nobody gonna laugh at that. Mm-hmm. That's why plays are not meant to stay on the page. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, so a friend of mine, in his final year at Yale's uh, MFA program, I uh, I asked him to write a short for my nonprofit. And he, this was his first time writing for the screen, right? Do you want me to say and, his name? And uh, Jeray. No, I, yeah, you say it. I want you to say it because it'll drop in. No, the, no uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm just um, tell, tell us his name. So a friend of mine uh, uh, wrote a short, and he's predominantly, uh, a playwright. So I asked him, what what do you think the distinction is and the difference between writing for the screen and for the stage? And you, right, mm-hmm. writing for Shameless on Showtime, mm-hmm. I want to ask you that same question. What do you think that distinction is and the difference, if it even is a difference for you? Big time. Mm. But I'm trying to figure out what it is. You know, like character is both important in both of those mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, when I write for the stage, especially as a playwright, I write for the stage, I write what I want to write. I'm writing for television, I'm, unless it's my show, and even still, mm-hmm. I'm not just writing what I want to write at mm. all. I'm writing what parts of what I want to write infuse with parts of what other people want to write and fuse with mm-hmm. what a network decides we ought to be doing mm-hmm. infused with there's a lot of other restrictions on mm-hmm. that that writing and yet um, there's a lot of other I can like also employ like a whole bunch more people to have mm-hmm. somebody just walk on and say a line and they'll pay they'll pay that person about two thousand mm-hmm. dollars so I'm like let me write some come on now I can. okay you know? <laughs> you know so but there's um it's so it's different um, to me in terms of the the control over my voice when I write for Shameless I'm aware that I didn't I'm, I'm coming in especially I'm not even start like I didn't start off like being the original writer on that show mm-hmm. I'm coming in to like being a rookie writer with a whole bunch of gifted veteran writers mm-hmm. some of the best writers you know um, and uh, for a show that's in the sixth season like right. I'm right. I'm like you know. I, I got to come in and learn and everything because it's already established. Game. So I'm serving someone else's mm-hmm. story. So I had to come in trying to find how do I serve, mm. but also challenge mm-hmm. and push so that I'm, I'm moving this for so that my contribution matters. Right. And um, one of the highest compliments I got from one of my coworkers was that no, it's rare for a first year writer in television to become this valuable in the room. Wow. 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 wow, wow, wow. But I Come totally on. didn't feel that way. Mm. <laughs> I felt like I was on eggshells and terrified the entire time. Yeah. You know, so I, you know. Sounds but exhilarating. You through. Yeah, you right. Through. Well, this, well, this year, 2015, the past year was about looking fear in the eye and, and walking right into it. And that's what I did. You know, I would love to have less fear in 2016. Come on, less fear. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm another talking hashtag. about. Another hashtag. Yeah. Got another hashtag. Less fear. Yeah. Less fear 2016. I've had a wonderful conversation Thank with you, you so, really did. so much, Thank you Dominique. so much. Like, it has just been an absolute pleasure. Just make sure you get to the theater, to the Atlantic Theater Company, to see Skeleton Crew. See it. January see it, 6th, see it. starting tonight, the first preview. Tonight. Up until Valentine's Day. You can go all the way and get your Valentine's Day on That's at the right. theater to see Skeleton Crew. So make sure time. you check it out. It has Jason Durden, who also worked on uh, Detroit 67. Well, his brother Brandon worked on Detroit Brand- 67. Jason wasn't in? No, nah, Jason wasn't. Oh, okay. Listen. He's getting off oh, the Durden slept. family. Right. The whole, the whole Durden clan. Well, pretty soon we're going to have a son chase right. in it. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's really kind of special having worked with Brandon on Detroit 67 and getting yeah. to work with Jason wow. now. That's it's, awesome. It's, for for the first few days, it. me That's and my husband, fantastic. my husband, I'm working with my husband for the first time um, Ooh, as ooh, he's right. doing the music. Because he's, oh. he's a big band. Like, he has a band. Yeah, he has. Well, oh, plug his band. Plug his band. Do you want to plug oh, I mean, I'm, I can plug him. His name is Jay Keys, and uh, you should check him out at jkeys.com, but he is doing the um, original composition music okay. for my show along with um, Rob Kaplowitz, who is our sound designer. Wow. And they're doing some great stuff. Um, and so, yeah, so it's my first time being able to, to... I've always worked with him and used his music, but in a, in one of my professional productions, mm-hmm. this is the first time. 
So it's awesome. That's amazing. The, the music. I actually do like to play, y'all. Now, come on now. <laughs> After all that, it took a while, but I like it, everybody. So y'all should come, come see, see it. it. See what I like. I don't. Like. You can like it with me, or you can choose not to. But come check it out. Um, and yeah, and it's an exciting. I mean, Ruben Santiago Hudson is my director. Yes, and he's a fearless leader. Mm. He's a fearless leader, yeah. and Ruben knows Detroit like better than me in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So it's 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 been awesome. Nakia Mathis, uh, Wendell Franklin, and Linda Gravatz, Gravatz, okay, who's a, a veteran. Linda, you know, I want to get my voice on Linda Gravatz. Linda Gravatz. Yes, Linda Gravatz like has that. known it's me like since NPR. I was at Michigan. I met her when I was a student at Michigan. She came and did plays with us. Oh wow! And so Linda. Is is probably the oldest actress of any of my plays. Well, she and she has a, quite an extensive resume. She's yeah. done uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with James Earl Jones. Was in King Headley. So she has a, a lot of, of credits there that, that have been just a lot of phenomenal. Credits. Yeah. If you didn't know her before, you really is gonna know her now. Get into it. Come her. on, come Get on, into somebody. Into I'm Linda excited. Now. Well, before we leave, we just want to want to really quickly talk about our Broadway yes. Plus book club. Yes. Yes. So, so look. So let me so tell you. I'm gonna let Danya take this. They. They're hating on me. (laughs) They're hating on me. So what we're doing is every month we're reading a book. And then we're going to discuss it at the end of the month. A book or a script. The first one is a is a the first one is a book. And my logic behind it, even if they don't care, even if they're not here for it, is because now we're in the revival of the musical on Broadway. We're going to be reading The Color Purple. Look at their excitement. Look at that. I would so want to. I want. I wanted to read the script and follow along with the cast album, and now I would want to do that. But we can. Reading, we can do both. No, no, we can't. Yes, we don't we have time do to both. be doing both. Please, we, we're, we're gonna. We're gonna read the book and actually sort of break down the book and sort of compare it to the the musical and and the movie iteration and things of that nature. And we'll have guests on. We're not sure who we who we're gonna have, mm-hmm. but we're gonna put into the realm of the spirit of, of maybe somebody like Danielle Brooks or or Jennifer Hudson. Come on, Danielle. Or Cynthia, yeah. Cynthia, right, come on, Danielle, we would love we to have people. you. So um we'll 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 at the beginning of February, we'll talk about that book and we'll choose another one. Danye won't be choosing the next one. Um, but mark my words, when we get to the end of the month and talk about this book, just listen to how much they're going to love it. Just listen to it. Listen, okay. you, I, I think rather now. than reading the book of the musical, reading um, Alice Walker's that, that's what we're going to read. Is, is, is what's going to be valuable you. to you guys. Thank so I'm with you, you Don. Yeah, Thank I think you. Y'all going to have a good time okay. on that book. Okay. Come on now. All right now. Read <laughs> Alice Walker's intention because you got the movie and that's Spielberg and you got the yeah. play. And Let's get to the of. root of it all. Read, the, read the original writer Come too. On. That's what we're going to do. Gonna do yeah. We love you, Alice. We're not mad about it. We, we really just, aren't mad. It's, it's a lot. It's beautiful. It's real heavy. So thank you, Alice. Thank you, But yeah, thank you, Alice. So make sure you get your copy of The Color Purple. Make sure you see the musical The Color Purple and also make sure you get to the Atlantic Theater Company to see Skeleton Crew. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Dominique Marie. So this is Andrew Shade. Farrah Lopez. And Danye Love. And this has been Off Book. Toys and lions and giants underneath my bed. Hide and seek inside my head and cartoons every afternoon. All is quiet, now silent memories replay. Strange how time just slips away, disappears almost for. Holding on to what I've known for so long 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.